Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. What's going on? Not too much. Just got some uh, pretty interesting and exciting uh, conference finals going on. The Heat against the Celtics, the Lakers against the Nuggets. Exactly what we were expecting here for the 2020 NBA playoffs. <laughs> right, right. Well, if you, a prior episode we did, we talked about like weird NBA seasons, and and one of the constant themes in the weird NBA seasons were like ridiculous playoff upsets. And this year, of course, without no home court advantage, with everybody in the bubble, like it seemed ripe to have a lot of upsets and a lot of, you know, kind of teams that we didn't expect to make it to the conference finals. And I think even then we still are pretty surprised uh, by a few of the teams, less so the Celtics, less so the Lakers, uh, but definitely the Heat and the Nuggets kind of coming as a surprise. But again, if you listen to that episode, the the one constant of any weird NBA season is very weird teams in the NBA finals, very weird champions, huge upsets, all that sort of stuff. And it's exactly how it played out this year. Yeah, we should know it was coming. We should have uh, we should have thought there. We should have realized, you know. But uh, yes, so we'll uh, we'll see how it goes out. Uh, we're in the midst of those uh, conference finals. But we thought, you know, it'd be fun to look a little bit at the histories of the teams that are in the conference finals uh, and talk about their shared players. So we're going to talk about some uh, key. Uh, players who played for both the Heat and the Celtics and and some key players who played for both the Lakers and the Nuggets, as well as a few notable trades um, uh, that those uh, teams had. So um, let's let's so not sugarcoat a little bit, though, not, not to interrupt oh, okay. you there. there I right. do remember the, the way that this show started was you and I texting back and forth in the midst of the Heat appearing like they have been dominating the box and the series wasn't quite over yet. And and I remember you saying, oh, God, I can't stand a Heat versus Celtics in conference finals. And I yeah. said, I know I'm kind of annoyed about it, too. And you said, at least maybe we can have a show about Antoine Walker. So right. he is the reason the shimmy we, we shimmied. Uh, the show was all in, in, in memory of, you know, the shimmy of Antoine Walker. And then we decided, you know what? That's actually not the worst idea. Let's talk about guys who played for both the Heat and the Celtics and then guys who played for whatever the Western Conference Finals is going to be, whether it's going to be Clippers, Lakers, or it was going to be whatever. Uh, Rockets, you know, Nuggets, whatever combination we were going to do. Uh, and we ended up with a pretty fun, interesting show with some fun names and some some interesting people to talk about. And I will will say here at the top, uh, people are probably in, in their head coming up with, oh, Heat versus Celtics. Oh, I, I know exactly who they're going to talk about. We try to pick people that were a little bit outside the box. We'll talk about the big players. We'll talk about some of the other guys. But we try to pick guys that at least... You know, we haven't talked. We're not going to talk about Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, there's no point in talking about Shaquille O'Neal on the show. You know about Shaquille O'Neal. We've talked about Shaquille O'Neal. 
that's fine. We're not going to do that, but um, we are going to have some fun guys in here. So you, you, don't worry when you hear us be like, when I start talking about Sherman Douglas, you're like, what the hell? Sherman Douglas? Come on, guys. There's so many other Heat Celtics players. What about Ray Allen? We wanted to make it fun and interesting, and I know our listeners will appreciate that. So, Yes, that is an excellent point. Yes. So um, yeah, the, the Heat Celtics, there was more synergy there than with the uh, Lakers and Nuggets. Not a lot. One kind of famous example, but I think the other ones were a little bit. A, a couple of guys I didn't even think about who, having been on the list. So it's yeah. Kind of interesting yeah. Guys well, were you so. surprised? That, at least I was kind of surprised at how few Lakers and Nuggets there were. Like, I mean, given that the Nuggets have been, you know, a franchise for, for years and years and years, they have, a, you know, a a 20 year head start basically on the Miami heat, but the heat and Celtics is filled with players that were on the same teams and filled with guys uh, that played for both. Whereas the Lakers and the nuggets, I mean, we're really, you know, digging deep here. We're, we're going from the mid seventies into, you know, the present. And, and even then you actually looked at like, you know, the prior Denver Nuggets, the old original Denver Nuggets, like the Minneapolis Lakers. And there wasn't anybody there either. And it's like, I guess it's, it, it probably speaks to one, you know, constant that has happened throughout the history of these two franchises that uh, usually the Lakers are good. And, Usually the Nuggets are not that good. So I think that might be an issue where the Lakers go, no, we don't really want any of your players. Whereas the Heat and the Celtics, largely, you know, after the Heat, it sort of wiped away their expansion, have been pretty solid for years and years and years. And the Celtics, of course, you know, it goes without saying, are a pretty solid team as well. Franchise, the Celtics. Yeah. Breaking news here. (laughs) Right. And every, it seems like historically every time that they're, um, the Nuggets have been good. The Lakers have just generally been better. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, the Denver, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, has not had a lot of uh, you know great success in their in their history. And the uh, the Lakers obviously had. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I mean, there's only been yeah, there have been four trades in between the Lakers and Denver. You know, in their history, um, you know, actually only only five between Boston and Miami. Obviously, that's over a shorter you know period of time. Um, given you know Miami only has about a thirty year history, but. Um, yeah, I, I it's kind of hard to know why that is, but it does seem like there is has sort of been a lack of interaction um, in the team's history. I, I think they've been met in the playoffs, the Nuggets and Lakers three or four times, and the um, the Lakers, I believe, have won every time. Where um, you know Miami and Boston, a little bit more of an equal rivalry, you know, between those franchises, um, if, especially in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, you know, we'll start off here, I think, with some some trades, some famous trades. We'll start out with the Heat Celtics one. We'll bounce to Lakers and, and Nuggets. And that's how we're going to do. I, I'll, I'll talk. Jason will talk. We'll bounce back and forth uh, between the two. So I'll start here uh, with some notable transactions between the Heat and the Celtics. So uh, the first one we're going to talk about is going to relate to a, a bigger topic we're going to have later in the show. Uh, and that's January 10th, 1992, with the Boston Celtics trading uh, then their point guard, Brian Shaw, to the Miami Heat for Sherman Douglas and, and you know, Brian Shaw was an effective rookie on 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 the rebuilding, semi rebuilding nineteen eighty nine Boston Celtics. The Celtics were they were good, but they weren't great. That you know they were they were, they were trying to get the last few years that they could out of Bird and and try to kind of work around him. And and, and they did a pretty decent job about it. Of course, obviously Reggie Lewis uh, tragically passed away in a few years. You know you have the Len Bias. You have all these sort of things that 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 befall the you know the the Boston Celtics. But this is the year where they're trying to kind of get things together, kind of figure out where they're going to be, figure out what the next generation of of Celtics teams are going to be. Uh, so you have Brian Shaw, who's, who's a pretty decent point guard for the team, you know, does some some good stuff, an effective rookie. Uh, he opts then the next year to play uh, in Italy instead of return to the NBA. Uh, by 1991, he comes back to the Celtics. Again, a big piece on a, on a pretty good Celtics team at this time, you know, 50 plus wins. Uh, they're not the Celtics of old, but they're they're back kind of, you know, they're they're there and they're they're in the, you know, in the mix, at least on the East. Um so then 17 games into the 1992 season, uh, Brian Shaw falls out of the starting rotation. D Brown, uh, who had kind of 
jet set it into, you know, kind of superstardom uh, based off the slam dunk contest and his play on the court. D Brown kind of moves up the ladder and he gets more of the point guard duties and gets more of sort of the, the star shine. And maybe he is a member of that next generation of the Celtics team. So Shaw has moved on uh, to Miami for Sherman Douglas. And we'll talk about Sherman, you know, at, at length a little bit, but uh, Shaw would play, you know, three so, so years in Miami before moving on to, you know, Orlando, Golden State, Philadelphia, uh, Portland, and then probably most famously, even though it was like least productive years, I'd say most famously Los Angeles, where of course he ends his career with some rings and and you know some big time highlights in, in the playoffs or whatnot. Even though, like again, it's one of those weird things where like he had been probably more effective in all of his other eleven seasons or whatever. But you know he comes to you know the Lakers and and, and wins three titles, and that's where you kind of remember him more, more than anywhere. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is sort of um, yeah yeah because he really was like he was kind of. I remember him sort of people thinking he was going to be a promising, you know, really good young player. And, and he hit a solid career, but he was never, you know, it seemed like for, you know, he might've been primed for, to be like a star, to be like an, a multi-time all-star, you know, not all time great or anything, but um, he definitely was, you know, pretty notable name. Um, and then, you know, just kind of you know, fell into more just like solid role player, but for championship team, but definitely, um, you know, he did that real well, despite, yeah, as you said, um, bouncing around a lot before with some, you know, not generally not great teams, uh, you know, up until you know, kind of settling into Los Angeles and, you know, finding kind of the exact right spot. Yeah, I, th- I think I actually have a cover or uh, a magazine like a, I think it's a January. I have, I, I would get it, but that'd be very unprofessional of me to try to rifle through a magazine while we're trying to do this. But uh, there's a basketball digest and there's a flea market that's near my house uh, every year. And a few years ago, I bought like, a hundred old basketball digests or whatever. And I remember there's like, I don't think he's on the cover, but he's definitely like one of the featured stories. It's like Brian Shaw, like the next great NBA point guard. And it's like, you read it. You're like, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he's leading the, yeah. and like, I mean, let, let's be, we'll talk about it a lot with, you know, Sherman Douglas, but like the Celtics were grasping for like that. Who's going to be our next star. Like once Larry Bird's done, who's going to be that guy to, that assumes the duties. Who's going to be the guy that, that kind of leads us. And at points it was Dee Brown at points. It was, you know, you know, Sherman Douglas would even be mentioned uh, in that, in that breath or whatever. And, 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 you know, Reggie Lewis obviously was one of those. And, and Brian Shaw, you read this article and it's like, yeah, the Celtics believe that Brian Shaw is like the answer that they've been looking for a point guard to lead them to the next decade. And it's like, well, I mean, not, not quite, but uh, he was definitely high regard at the time too. He was, he was, you know, we sort of know, him now is just like kind of the, the dude who scores like you know five points in an NBA finals game or whatever uh for the Lakers or comes in off the bench or whatever but no he, he was a very very good player for for a number of years yeah absolutely um so next we have for the Nuggets and the Lakers uh the uh trade on June 24th 1998 it was the Denver Nuggets trading Tony Batie and Tyron Liu to the Los Angeles Lakers for Nick Van Exel. Uh, Batie and Liu had both been drafted in that uh, in that year's uh, NBA draft. Um, and Van Exel, you know, this on paper would seem like a surprise because Van Exel had been an all-star during the 98 season. He was still fairly young. You know, him along with Eddie Jones, Cedric Sabalos were kind of the key building blocks of a you know post Showtime Lakers resurgence. And, you know, even in before Shaq and Kobe came along in 1996, they, you know, finished 53 wins were six in SRS with a really young team. So they were they were on the rise, even, you know, not even considering Shaq and, and Kobe. Um, but in 98, um, there had been issues Previously, with Coach Del Harris and Jerry West, there was an incident where um, Van Exel pushed a referee, and it's been suspended for multiple chain, multiple games. Um, but the 
the real see, tipping point was uh, an infamous moment where during a Lakers practice uh, around the time of their Western Conference series against Utah, which they were swept, so it was toward the end of this, um, Van Exel made a, a, a team huddle. They were supposed to say one, two, three team. And Van Exel jokingly said one, two, three Cancun. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, he later just said, Hey, I was, you know, just trying to keep the team like, you know, joking, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't quit on my team, but he'd actually already I guess, I guess given up his starting spot to Derek Fisher late in the season. He, he'd been sidelined with some knee problems and he was kind of slow coming back. Um, so, you know, they just decided, uh, you know, both, both teams decided to move on. And, you know, um, I, I, the Lakers also, I think, were trying to kind of looking to cut some salary with the lockout coming up. And, you know, the salary cap sure was going to, you know, kind of go in. So it was ended up traded to Denver for uh, some draft picks. Um, you know, Mateen never actually ended up playing for the uh, Lakers. He was traded to Boston for Travis Knight. And, Lou, of course, you know, was a famous role player for the uh, Lakers and a solid one for uh, several years for the championship run. Of course, uh, most famously, you know, uh, stepped over by Allen Iverson during the uh, 2001 finals. But, you know, Lou uh, won those three uh, championships. So it kind of got the last laugh there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the Van Exel thing, too, you know, you know, when you, you know, anybody who knows Van Exel style play, uh, definitely a guy who enjoyed the ball in his hands and enjoyed kind of getting shots up and, and, and kind of controlling the offense. And uh, a big reason, you know, as well, you, you know, you're talking about that, you know, this Lakers team trying to kind of evolve into the next step is that now when you have an emerging Kobe Bryant and, and, and you realize that you might have something in this guy, he might actually be something. You got Shaquille O'Neal, you have those sort of guys. You, it makes all the sense in the world that the team was kind of slowly but surely moved their way over. Uh, to, you know, someone like a Derek Fisher who really can affect the game without really, you know, having the ball in his hands and needing to kind of run the offense and run the show. So it, it makes sense. And, and, and yeah, sure. when you add in all the other stuff with with Van Hex and all the other baggage as well, uh, it made all sense in the world why they made that trade. But it's still like it's given the like the return they got because Van Hex, we're talking he's like 26 this time, too. You know, what I mean, he's right. like a, I think he had just made the all star game for the first time ever. Like right. he was like there, you know, it was like but but yeah, it, it was a bold move at the time. And, and uh, obviously that ended up paying off, you know, hugely. But. Uh, tough, you know, tough decision to make at that time to, you know, one of your leading scorers, uh, one of your top guys on your team, you're going to trade him and, and, and your return is a guy you don't even want. <laughs> and then, you know, a role player is, 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 is pretty wild. And, and Denver, you know, had they capitalized or been good during that time, they might have actually, you know, had a good deal there, but, uh, they were Denver Nuggets and, you know, they don't yeah, deserve, they didn't deserve to win those the terrible uniforms that. anyway. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. Here's the weird thing about the Nuggets bad 90s uniforms. So we both agree that they're terrible. Um, but they're terrible for an interesting reason because most teams during that time went from like, you know, outrageous patterns right. or colors or design right. and went to something, you know, went from something that was traditional and boring, you know, I'm using air quotes for boring um, to something, you know, crazy and wacky, but the nuggets had like crazy and wacky in the eighties. And it was right. great. They had colors, they had, you know, pastel yeah. colors, they had purples, they, they had everything you wanted in the nineties. And they're like, you know what? How about Brown? <laughs> like, you know right. what we should do? Brown, you know, Brown. you know what? Yeah. Like everybody loves about Denver, the dirt, you know, the, yes. yeah, the sand at Rocky mountain park. Yeah. Perfect. We'll just go with right. dirt. We'll go with like a really dark blue and then Brown. It's perfect. Yeah. And red maybe sometimes too. Oh, oh my red. God. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right. Like it, you would have thought that they would have like went into the nineties and just said, Oh, well, we're good. We already, we're already ahead of the yeah. game. We already oh, got yeah. the silly uniforms with all the colors. And the, the, no, they go, ah, you know what? Let's strip all the color down and go with, brown it's just yeah it's it's tough i don't mind like the jerseys themselves are okay they're whatever but where they went from was so good and and i do love how today's nuggets have 
uh, my arguably my favorite uniform in basketball, the black uh, Nuggets jersey with the yeah. the the the, uh, uh, the rainbow in the mountains is yeah. just, oh, just chef's yeah. kiss. Yeah, right. it's perfect. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's move to our next uh, Heat Celtics trade. And this one's a little interesting because it is an executive trade. Yeah, some executives are on the move here. Uh, Miami Heat executive Chris Wallace is hired by the Boston Celtics in 1997. Uh, he is the director of player personnel for the Miami Heat. Uh, depending on who you ask, he kind of credits himself with, you know, <laughs> building the Miami Heat, even though he wasn't really the GM. He was just kind of the player personnel guy, but whatever he wants to do, whatever Chris Wallace wants to do. He's had many years in the NBA, so it's fine. But anyway, uh, the Celtics hire him in 1997 and they get a second round pick. They send a second round pick to uh, uh, Miami uh, to allow him to end his contract and allow him to take the new job. Uh, so he he becomes director of player personnel kind of under uh, a few of the other guys for, for a few years until he becomes the official general manager. Uh, in the 2000-2001 season, and uh, it doesn't go, I don't know. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit with the Anton Walker. It doesn't go great for him in Boston. He, you know, some short-sighted trades. Uh, he does get them into a few, you know, deep playoff runs, but probably ends up being, you know, worse in the long run. You know, famously trades Joe Johnson uh, for Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers. Um, trades for yeah. Vin Baker while Vin Baker is battling alcoholism, and uh, Baker makes, you know, between you know, 12 to $13 million per year plays you know barely plays and is pretty ineffective and by 2003 uh chris wallace is, is gone but uh i guess it didn't cost miami too much it's caught a second round pick and i think there was another player involved uh in this as well but uh they maybe got the last laugh because they would go on to win a title you know <laughs> you know in the early 2000s and uh you know go on to you know bigger and better heights while boston is still trying to kind of figure out what was going on in, during that time period as well and and yeah i i wouldn't say he did a bad job i think he inherited a pretty good boston celtics team but uh probably did a lot of you know short-sighted things that that ended up kind of tanking the team for for a couple years so yeah they, and they weren't good at the time he came there but they had the pieces you know you know um and uh you know obviously you know, he drafts um i think they had drafted walker already but he would he would um uh, at least be involved with the pick yes, of yeah. um, Paul Pierce, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that, that one being important to so that, that obviously, you know, one of the better picks for them in their history. Um, so, so obviously that was strong. Yeah. But uh, Danny Ainge begrudgingly, probably a better choice. Yeah. Um, unfortunately we yeah. have to admit it, but uh, right. Yeah. Cause yeah. then we'll also go to Memphis and he, he, he do some decent work in Memphis as yeah. well. Of course, get that team, you know, to, to a certain level. And now I, I don't know what, I, I don't think he's doing anything right now. Or he might still be, I don't know. He might still be in Memphis. I forget what Chris Wallace is doing right now. I don't think, yeah. He, Maybe at like a consultant level, but yeah, he's not, he's yeah, obviously I, not running the show I, anymore. I, I, yeah. I, I believe you're correct. Yes. Um, yes. So now going back to Nuggets Lakers, uh, August 3rd, 1990, the Nuggets traded two uh, second round draft picks to the Los Angeles Lakers for Orlando Woolrich. The, and these picks ended up actually being conditional and were never exercised. So basically, the <laughs> Nuggets got uh, Orlando Woolrich for free. And um, yeah, we're, we'll get into uh, greater detail. But uh, this was the first season for the Nuggets under Paul Westhead. Of course, had been previously the Lakers coach in the early um, 80s. And uh, Paul Westhead just really transitioned from being like methodical, being like a so temper, like, you know, coach controls the, uh, the pace and calls the plays and, you know, the, the players execute them into, we're just going to go up and down the court and just go, go out and crazy and throw shots all the time. And um, they played really fast and they played next to no defense. And uh, they set some records that we'll get into um, a bit later, but uh, that led uh, Woolridge to go from having averaged 12.7 points per game the year before to 25 
6.1 points per game, also a career high of 6.8 rebounds per game. He actually was among the leaders in the NBA in scoring through uh, December until he was sidelined after eye surgery during a due to a detached retina during a game collision. So uh, kind of near the end of Woolridge's career, uh, the effective portion of um, his career, but sort of an interesting odd season for him and you know the, the nuggets I, I know this nuggets the 91 nuggets team is uh, among your favorite bad teams oh i love them yeah yeah and and then paul west said too i i, I love uh, this transition that he made because he always talked about when he comes to you know the Lakers and he's like all right Kareem all right Magic we're gonna do it my way and they're like who the fuck is this guy <laughs> like, get out of here right. dude and and he gets out of there pretty quickly he tells you know Jerry Buss hey we're gonna do things my way and Jerry Buss goes I don't know how what you thought but that's not how kind of things work here it's Magic Kareem and me we kind of run the show here so he goes away he gets sent away I know he has a year with the Bulls that they don't really do anything they're pretty bad uh, then he goes to Loyola Marymount he basically has to rebuild his entire career as the head coach of you know uh, just kind of a mid-level uh, NCAA team, and they do incredible. They do really, really well. They get Hank Gathers. They get guys like Bo Gimbel. The, uh, there's a 30 for 30 all about, you know, the guru of Go, all about his run in Meloria and Marymount, and he basically just decides, hey, we're not going to win by just, you know, you know, working the other team's slow-paced offense. Let's just run. Let's just go. Let's go, 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 and see what happens, and it works great. Loyal Marymount's good. Uh, and then he goes to the Nuggets, and he does the same thing. Unfortunately, they're not good, but hey, I love, I love their style. Um, they score, you know, 120 points a game. They give up 130. That's not ideal. Ideally, you, you know, right. score more than you give up. That's sure. the best way to win. Uh, he had a different philosophy, I guess. I don't know, like, well. exactly what they wanted to do. But uh, I do enjoy watching uh, uh, them play. And anytime there's an old classic game I find on YouTube of this era, uh, Denver Nuggets, it's it's pretty awesome. And the, I think my favorite part, too, is that you think, oh, man, well, they're, you know, they're scoring, you know, 120 points per game. They're probably shooting threes. No, they're just, like, running up and taking, you know, mid-range jumpers and, run back and giving up a point and then getting the ball back. It's, it's fun to watch. I mean, it's interesting to watch, but uh, yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's a pretty prolific team uh, there. And, and it's kind of this mishmash combination of, of some good players, some bad players, some old players, a bunch of other things. It's, it's probably not great, but man, I enjoy watching these guys play. So sure. Usually when they're yeah. getting up like ungodly, I think they're one time I think they gave up 107 to the suns or 108 to the suns in like, you know, one half, which is not, not great. You don't want to do that. So that's, yeah, this uh, this team, uh, they had Walter Davis played 13 games for uh, this team at the end of his career. Yeah, average 18.7 points per game it. in 26 minutes, so that's good. Uh, Michael Adams was actually the leading scorer, uh, and he um, attempted 8.5 three-pointers a game, which was a lot back then, uh, only shot uh, 29.6% from three-point, so that's probably not as strong. Um, I... I I do not ever recall hearing of Blair Rasmussen, but apparently he played for the Nuggets <laughs> for several years in the uh, 80s. Uh, he was a center. I, I'm guessing probably he would be a uh, arena special there, as, as would be my guess. Um, uh, Mahmoud abdul Rauf was a, was a rookie on this team. Anthony Mason's um, there, too. Yeah. That's my favorite part of this that, whole yeah. team is that like, there's like, yeah, hey, Anthony Avery, Mason. Avery Johnson, yeah, Anthony Mason played three games for this team. Avery Johnson played 21 games. Um uh, let's see, a TR done at the end of his career, you know, uh, it's, yeah, there's a lot. They cycle through a lot, lot of players. Yeah. Which is a lot also, of guys. Yeah. I, I don't know if uh, guys got hurt. Guys said this yeah. sucks. Guys said, Tim was this, on this team. Yeah. yeah. They have 21 rostered guys for this season. Right. Which you got to appreciate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we need to, we're going to need to follow, do some more follow up on this team. Yes. I, I feel yes. Like. I yeah. would love to do that. Yeah. Let's, let's definitely right. do that. Uh, but yeah, okay. no, it's uh you, you look at their offensive rating that, you know, the right idea, you know, Paul West had a, a few years into the history, uh, forgot that like efficiency is important too, because they were like 21st sure. in offensive rating 
and yeah. dead last in defensive rating. Uh, so right. they scored a lot of points per game, and they didn't do it very efficiently. So that, that ends up not working out too well. So that's when you go 20 yes. and 62. So Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good record. All right, let's move on to our next uh, Heat Celtics trade here, our last Heat Celtics trade that we're going to talk about here. And this one will relate to somebody where you're going to talk about even more here. Antoine Walker goes to Miami. It is a five-team trade on August 2nd, 2005. Stick with me here because I'm going to mention everybody that gets moved here. All right, you ready? All right. Five-team trade. Boston Celtics trade Antoine Walker to the Miami Heat. Okay? okay. We could just end right there, but that what's the fun in that? Let's talk some yep. more. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies trade Andre Emmett, James Posey, and Jason Williams to the Miami Heat. And that actually ends up being a great trade for them because uh, yeah. a lot of those guys end up being you know, pre, you know, key role players in that title team, especially Posey and, and James Williams, or Jason Williams, I should say. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies trade Greg Ostertag to the Utah Jazz. I don't know if I ever remember Greg Ostertag okay. playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, but I enjoyed that in 2005, the Utah Jazz going, you know what, the key, <laughs> we need Greg Ostertag. That's important. Like, things aren't, we're just not clicking to that level that we need. What do we need? What's the missing piece? Yes, of course, Greg Ostertag. So uh, that doesn't go too well. Uh, the Boston Celtics, yeah, they uh, they get from the Miami Heat. Albert Morales, I don't know who that is. That's probably not good. Quintel okay. Woods, I do know who that is, but he's bad. Also uh, not good. Yeah. A 2006 second-round draft pick and a 2008 second-round draft pick go to the Boston Celtics. Uh, not great. Some more guys. The Miami Heat, they trade Eddie Jones. The aforementioned Eddie Jones. We talked about him in the Lakers part. He goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, the Miami Heat then also trade Rasul Butler to the New Orleans-Oklahoma City Hornets. Uh, the New Orleans Oklahoma City Hornets trade Roberto Durans to the Miami Heat, and the Utah Jazz trade Curtis Borchard to the Boston Celtics. So, no, we're not done yet. The Utah Jazz trade Rolo Lopez to the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Utah Jazz trade Kirk Snyder to the New Orleans Oklahoma City Hornets. God damn! I just uh, imagining like trying to figure out who goes where. <laughs> that, that I would love to be in the room just for one of these conversations where a five-team trade goes down. Where 15 players move and all, just trying to juggle all these names. At a certain point, it just becomes like, does Reversal Durayanis or whoever the fuck need to go to the Miami Heat? Can we just like not have him involved in the trade? You know, what do we do? But I, I, I love these trades. I love these big, big trades and uh, works out great for Miami and less so for basically everybody else on this list. So, yes. So I, I would like to, I'd like to clarify something that, so apparently, okay. So he was traded. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm back on Greg Ostertag as I obviously. Should. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What do we got? So. Okay. Because Greg Ostertag never actually played for the Jazz. So in the, or the 2000- Grizzlies, the Grizzlies rather. Uh, yeah. He, okay. He did play for the Jazz, obviously. <laughs> yes, I, you know, mentally, I wanted to just somehow, I, I wanted to just kind of fool everybody. No. Okay. So in. In 96 through 04, he plays for the Jets, which, you know, we, we, we realized 2005, he plays for the Kings. He was, a, he was a Kings free agent signee, went to the Kings, but then he was traded. I'm, 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 I'm trying to understand the, the, the sequence of events here because the, the five team trade that you describe, of course, occurs, but there's also a trade where he, along with Bobby Jackson, mm-hmm. go to the Grizzlies for Bonzi Wells. Um, and I think that's the same day. So maybe like okay. to, for some weird maneuvering of, of salary caps, the Grizzlies had to own Greg Ostertag for like two minutes. 
he, he wasn't officially part of that. Tra- he wasn't officially part of the big trade, but was essentially part of the of the large trade, you know, in, in yes. reality. Yeah. So the way it looks like is, the, the, you know, and this was uh, it was a Bonzi Wells trade as well, which, again, like it's ridiculous. Right. All these names moving for like right. nothing. What are you doing? They're like Bonzi Wells. Uh, what do we do? Yeah. So the, the Sacramento Kings need Bonzi Wells. So they trade Bobby Jackson and Greg Ostertag and yeah. then immediately trade Ostertag to the Jazz. For Ra- Raul Lopez, Kirk Snyder, and Curtis Borchard. So okay, so way. he was acquired by the Chaz via via trade. Yes. I, I, okay, I see. So he was included in that. Okay, because the okay the Kings trade happens first, right? And, and then, then he gets he packaged, and because they needed Raul Lopez, Jason, they needed okay. Raul Lopez. So, okay, I remember this trade when it happened. I you know, um, and I was confused then, and it hasn't really you know, it hasn't helped. Yeah, there's a all, lot of all I know is that Kirk Snyder, you know. Of course, you know, one of the, the greatest New Orleans, Oklahoma City Hornet in, you know, NBA history, obviously. So I guess he's canonical Pelican now. But yes, um, you're right. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. So, what, a, what a weird glitch that uh, ESPN. I hope somebody gets fired for this one. I, I, uh, if you click Kirk Snyder's name on ESPN.com, it goes to a uh, Donald Royal pra- player profile oh, page. Uh-oh. Someone, right. Someone's going to have to pay for this. I mean, come we on. We need guys. to report that. Yeah. So sloppy shops going on over there at ESPN. I mean, when you click Kirk Snyder, I want Kirk Snyder, not Donald Royal. (laughs) Come on. I I would like to point out that although you describe this as inconsequential for everyone involved in in, you, I I know that you don't mean the heat, obviously. Yes, no, it worked out. It worked out great for the heat and worked out pretty much in no way whatsoever for anybody else. I I will say Bonzi Wells going to the Kings led them to their final playoff appearance uh, 15 years ago. So, yes. So that, that, that <laughs> Does was that say more about the Kings or like, yeah, well, <laughs> or, you know. but you're right. It's right. It's, it's, it's a fact that Bonzi Wills did help the King go to their, 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 their final yeah. playoff. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Anton Walker going to Miami. Cause that'll be a, a breakout okay. here when we talk about Anton Walker, but that is it for my fun uh, heat Celtics trades, but you have okay. uh, a few more or one more, at least Lakers Nuggets I, fun trade. I do. Yes. Uh, June 26, 1978, the Denver Nuggets traded Ron Boone and two 1979 second round picks. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say a car. Charlie just got <laughs> a car. The two 1979 Cutlass Supremes. Like, yes. Like that's, so, that's uh, one thing I do miss about old school sports is that guys can get traded for like, you know, literally bags of balls sometimes or like cars or private yeah. jets or whatever. Those things don't happen anymore. They, you know, maybe they do kind of under the table, but they don't announce it anymore because it'd be embarrassing yeah. if Ron Boone got traded for two cars. But right. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. So uh, the the key acquisition here is uh, Ron Boone, who actually you know you may you know if you're a you know aficionado of the 1970s NBA, you may be like Jason. You know, Ron Boone never played for the Nuggets. What are you talking about? Well, Ron Boone actually had been acquired by Denver in another trade by with Kansas City, the Kings. He played two years with the Kings after coming from the ABA. Um, which also involved Darnell Hillman. So a lot of old ABA players involved in these uh, transactions. Um, and Scott only played the very beginning of his career in the NBA. We're going to dig into him more, but he'd been a hero of the 1976 Celtics championship run, was kind of shipped out as that team age and needed to rebuild in 78. So had been with the um, Lakers for a year and a half. Uh, the Lakers were an okay team, you know, in 78. and uh, But, uh, you know, kind of wanted to revamp um, for Ron Boone. Fortunately, it didn't really work out well for Ron. He ended up kind of sulking in a diminished role with the uh, Lakers. Um, I, I believe he was described um, negatively in the Jeff Perlman Showtime book, you know, at, at the very beginning um, 
of the 19, you know, Magic's rookie year Boone is still there, but then gets traded pretty soon to uh, the Jazz, where he's described as, you know, definitely, you know, a, a malcontent at uh, that point. So, but, but Boone, you know, ends up uh, going back to Utah with the Jazz, where he'd had his best days in the ABA as part of the Utah Stars and has, you know, um, I believe he's been an announcer with the with the Jazz for a long time. I don't know if he's been continuously with the organization throughout that whole time, but that obviously uh, ended up long term working out well for him. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And he's he's a, you know a name that uh, yeah your astute seventies NBA uh, people would know, but but a, a solid enough player, like a guy who definitely probably gets underrated a little bit because of the era that he plays in and and, and right. you know where you know. But yeah, a really really good yeah. player. If you go back and look at some of the numbers and, and look at the impact he had for a few teams. Yeah, even for the Kings, he was I mean, like he'd been, you know, he was, he was about 29, 30 at that point. So, you know, nearing the end of his career, of course, careers were shorter um, back then. Um, but, you know, yeah, played fairly well in the NBA until that point. But the Lakers were not a good um, a, a good fit for him, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, famous for breaks in the uh, not breaks of the game, uh, uh, loose balls. He's in the ABA and he's, he's an important part of the Utah Stars. He's an important part of oh, the yeah. Dallas Chaparrales. Like, yeah. He's a big time ABA guy and a guy that I think one of the many yeah. guys that gets lost, you know, with, with um, uh, the, the transition to the NBA because he comes into the NBA already. Yeah, like you said, he's kind of on the downswing of his career, even though, yeah, he had had basically, you know, a, a decade uh, of pretty good player, at least a half a decade of pretty good play. But unfortunately, it was done, you know, in, in, in the ABA. So kind of largely forgot to history, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get to some of our featured players here. So, again, we're going to talk about the, the, the big guys. We're going to talk about the big guns here. But we want to talk about some interesting players, uh, some fun players. And we'll start off with, as I mentioned about the last trade, Antoine Walker. We got to start out with who the first when we thought Heat Celtics. He's the guy that came to my mind immediately. I don't know why. Came to your mind immediately, too. Maybe just Antoine Walker just comes to our mind immediately. Very often. We, we, we think of the shit. Uh, yeah. We love Antoine oh, yeah. Walker. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we love it. Yeah. Anton Walker, fabulous, fun, you know, wonderful NBA player and personality. Just, you know, like just a joy to watch. Um, maybe, maybe not a joy, you know, if you're looking for your team to, to win, but necessarily, you know, there, <laughs> or you know, an investment portfolio, there. but <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there's that as, as well. But, you know, in terms of just like a guy who's just like makes the game a little more fun and does silly stuff and, um, but you know, was really, really good and talented yeah. and also like, you know, was, was a successful NBA player, you know, maybe had he had a little bit better shot selection, maybe, you know, could have been better, but you know, Hey, you know, it, there are no fours. So <laughs> right. if, there, if there had been fours, maybe, you know, Anton Walker might have been the greatest player in NBA history. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I don't think like, you know, now, you know, you know, we look at another guy. We talk about this all the time. Guys who, you know, depending on when their era was like, nobody would care about Antoine Walker. Like Antoine Walker would be encouraged now. But in those, you know, in those days, I remember in the early 2000s, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> the shot selection sucks. Whereas now, you know, you get yelled at for, you know, putting the ball on the floor, not taking the three. So it's it's just about when you play. Uh, a lot of ways, but Anton Walker, um, local-ish uh, to my area. He went to uh, Mount Carmel High School in Chicago. Uh, he plays with future NBA uh, or NFL quarterback, I should say Donovan McNabb, uh, in the same uh, high school as well. He's the sixth overall pick in the 1996 NBA draft. He, of course, goes to the University of Kentucky and, and, and plays pretty well there uh, as well. The 1996 NBA draft, of course, is absolutely loaded, like ungodly loaded, like, oh my God, how many people are on this draft? Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Pedro Starakovich, Marcus Camby, Stefan Marbury, many, many more. We could be here all day talking about that 1996 NBA draft. Uh, but he ends up, ends up, you know, being one of the best players of that entire draft. He, you know, he finishes his career uh, 14th in total win shares among his draft class, 31st in win shares per 48, uh, and 10th in value over replacement players. So I think he, he you know, fits in pretty well 
uh, with those guys. And you're talking about some all time great. You're talking about, you know, surefire, no doubt Hall of Famers and like Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, uh, Pages Dorakovich to an extent as well. I mean, we're talking really, really, really good players uh, in this draft. Uh, so anyway, he goes to the Boston Celtics again in the Boston Celtics hunt for who their next star is going to be. And, and Antoine Walker, more than D Brown, more than Sherman Douglas, more than Brian Shaw, more than almost anybody uh, since, you know, Larry Bird and, and really since Reggie Lewis assumes the star role and immediately comes in and he's a star. He makes the all NBA all rookie uh, first team. Uh, he leads his team in scoring at 17.5 points per game. He leads the team in rebounding uh, at nine rebounds per game. Uh, sure, the Celtics have their worst year in franchise history. They, you know, go 15 and 67, but still, you got a guy. He's, he's, he's a good player. He's, he, he's putting up numbers. He's doing all that sort of stuff. So they decide, uh, the next year, 97, 90, or 97, 98, that what we're going to do is we're going to bring in, not necessarily because you had Anton Walker, but because he was a successful coach, you're going to bring in Anton Walker's former college coach, Rick Patino from the University of Kentucky. He's going to come in. He's going to coach the Celtics. He's going to be the GM. He's going to run the show and things are going to go well. And yeah, not really. We'll talk about that here in a sec. But uh, for Anton Walker, things go well. He makes the all-star team, the first uh, all-star birth of his career. Uh, he scores 22.4 points per game, 10.2 rebounds per game. The Celtics still stink, but that's not his fault because, well, partially his fault, but hell, he's getting the numbers. He's a sophomore, so things are going pretty well. Uh, 1998 NBA draft, uh, the Celtics would go on. Of course, we talked about this a little bit earlier. They're going to draft Paul Pierce with the 10th pick. Uh, in the draft, and that forms kind of the new core of the Celtics, the new Celtics dynasty, kind of, with you know, Paul Pierce and, and Anton Walker and Tony Delk and Ron Mercer sure. and a few yeah. other guys that aren't that good and, you know, not Tim Duncan. And, uh, well, that's yeah. fine. You know, they, they want Tim Duncan here. They don't get Tim Duncan. They hey, get Paul they, Pierce. They, they get a suitable maybe, guy. So. Maybe if they had kept Tronty Billups, maybe they'd have, you know, they'd that's, have been all right. You know, you know, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, there's some, some uh, Rick's got yeah, some, well, some explaining to do here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, Chris night, Wallace. maybe we'll blame Chris Wallace. Yes, Chris Wallace and, and Rick Patino, you guys stink. So yeah, uh, exactly. 98, 99. And that's why Chris Wallace, again, where I mentioned how he was just kind of like the director of player personnel, quote unquote, because he had Rick Patino, right. who was kind of the GM. So he could, or sure. whatever he was. And, yeah. The, the czar, whatever the hell they call it. I forget what they call it that year. Anyway, uh, yeah. 98, 99, Boston goes 19 and 31. They missed the playoffs yet again. Uh, 99, 2000, they're rebuilding. They're ready to go. And now uh, they kind of stink again. Uh, they missed the playoffs in Rick Pitino. Uh, this feature, th- this season features the famous Larry Bird isn't walking through that door, uh, quote, which again, here, here's the, uh, here's the exact thing. It's from the Washington Post, uh, in, uh, March 1st, 2000. It said the Celtics blew a 20-point third-quarter lead to the Dallas Mavericks on Monday and lost 96-94 on Wednesday night uh, on Vince Carter's buzzer-beating three-pointer to drop to 23-34 and for the year. Asked what he said to his team after the latest loss, Patino said he would not, quote, succumb to negativity, but he soon just did just that. Well, we've played hard the whole year. We're going to be positive every day. You are the people being negative, he told reporters. You and the fans, okay? I mean, Rick, you lost, you missed the playoffs three times. It's Boston. Like, you know, yeah. what are we doing here? Uh, and this is then what, what gets to the famous quote here. Quote, Larry Bird is not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale is not walking through that door. And Robert Parrish is not walking through that door, Patino said. And if you expect them to walk through that door, they're going to be gray and old. What we are is young, exciting, hardworking, and we're going to improve. People don't realize that. And as soon as they realize that three guys are not coming through that door, the better this town will be for all of us. So, you know, plants his flag. 2001, he's jets, you know, jetted midway through the season. They let him go. Uh, they bring a new coach, uh, Jim O'Brien. Celtics miss the playoffs yet again, but it leads to 2001, 2002, arguably the best year of Antoine Walker uh, uh, and Paul Pierce in this early Celtics, you know, early 2000 Celtics. Uh, Anton Walker has his best overall season. Celtics go 49 and 33. 
Uh, first playoff berth in seven years, which is a very long time in Boston, by the way. Uh, he's second on the team in scoring, 22 points, first in rebounds, nine, and first in assists as well with five. Uh, Pearson Walker took the team all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, where they fell to the New Jersey Nets uh, in six games. Uh, Walker during this year, you know, as we said, a prolific three-point shooter. Uh, his attempts, 645, just shy of the all-time NBA record of 678 set by George McLeod uh, for Dallas in 1995-96, again, with a shorter three-point line. So uh, Walker 645 is a pretty prolific number uh, for this era. And of course, this record, you know, has not held up given, you know, what's going on in the NBA today. But still, I think pretty remarkable. This year is still 21st all time, which is saying something given where the NBA is at this time. Like given what we see on a daily basis, on a, on a game to game basis, what we see from, you know, people like James Harden, what we see from, you know, guys like Steph Curry. The fact that, you know, this year in 2001, 2002 still ranks, you know, top 25 all time in three point attempts uh, is pretty wild. And that's why that's why, like. It was shocking to the system to see Antoine put up as many threes as he put up in this season. It was pretty wild. It didn't, you know, he didn't make a very good percentage of those, but goddamn it, he, he shot him. And hell, the Celtics they went forty nine and thirty three, so uh, worked out pretty well. And uh, the most famous game of that Eastern Conference Finals we should talk about as well. Kind of an all time great uh, NBA playoff game as well. The Celtics are down twenty one entering the fourth uh, quarter. Walker delivers an impassioned speech on the bench, tells them, "You know, we need a spark. Let's go." It works. The Celtics are up for forty one points in the fourth quarter alone, uh, nineteen of which were contributed in that quarter by Paul Pierce. Uh, Walker puts up twenty three points and twelve rebounds and four assists in the entire game, and the Celtics win ninety four ninety to put them up two one in the series. And uh, got everybody thinking that, oh, my God, we're going to go to the NBA finals. And it wasn't to be, unfortunately, the uh, New Jersey Nets came back and and did it. But uh, we'll quickly go over the next few years here. Uh, 2002-2003, Walker makes his third All-Star team, but the Celtics regress. Uh, they lose in the Eastern Conference semifinals to New Jersey again. Uh, and then 2003-2004, just before the season, Walker is traded to the Mavericks. The Celtics give up on Anton Walker uh, and go in a new direction. And uh, I was all in at this time for for this Mavericks team. I remember as a kid loving the idea of Antoine Walker. On the Dallas Mavericks, they get Anton Jameson this season too, and they're going small ball. You got Nash, you got Finley, you got Dirk, you got Walker. Anton Jameson is off the bench. It's going to work. It's going to be great. And ah, eh, it's just okay. They won 52 games, uh, lost in the first round, and Dallas goes, yeah, that didn't really work. And they trade Anton Walker to Atlanta for Jason Terry, and um, doesn't really work out very well for the Atlanta Hawks. I would say there, oh, uh, the uh, and so, you know, well, you know, as 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 the foremost Anton, uh, you know, Anton Walker slash Atlanta Hawks fan. What do you think of of, of this deal for them? Well, uh, you know, it didn't maybe quite work out as we were hoping it would work out. But, you know, I mean, we don't want to disparage Atlanta Hawks legend Antoine Walker too much. I mean, you know, he, it was a fabulous half a season. You know, there were many shimmies. Um, you know, he, he he did, you know, he didn't perform too bad, actually. Um, you know, the the shooting, the, the three-point sh- shooting wasn't great, you know, but, but he was below 30% that year. So uh, that was the struggle. They didn't take nearly as many attempts um, in Atlanta as he had in other places. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, um, you know, that was not a good team in any case. So somebody had to take the shots. Why not Anton Walker? You know, if you're, if you're, it was Al Harrington going to be taking the shots, you know, the jo- you want Josh Smith taking all the shots. I mean, come on, you know, the options there were not, exactly, <laughs> right. uh, you know, fantastic. So, yeah, I, I think, um I, I think it worked out as well as it was meant to work out. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on that, but uh, it works out a little bit better for Dallas and Jason Terry. Obviously he goes to uh multiple NBA finals with right, Dallas fine. and whatnot, but all still right. you're right. Yeah. You're right. But anyway, uh, it's all null and void because on February 24, 2005, Anson Walker is traded back to the Boston Celtics and a deal that sends Gary Payton, Tom Gugliotta, Michael Stewart, and a first round pick to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I will say Gary Payton never played Seahawks. <laughs> he gets bought out and goes back to the Celtics. I think they had to change the rule after that. Yes. For, yeah. Yes. It was a little weird when, like, a day later, Gary Payton was just like, da, 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 goes right, yeah. walks right back to the Celtics. And they're like, wait a minute. Right. Yes. <laughs> Can't do that. Uh, but they did. Anyway, so Walker starts all the 24 remaining games for the Celtics that year. He averages 16.3 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game. Uh, Celtics advanced to the playoffs, uh, but then they lost in a seven game series, a hard fought, uh, hard fought seven game series uh, to the Indiana Pacers. And uh, so that's that. And then we get to August 2nd, 2005, as we mentioned. And so Walker's moved in the giant trade, the largest deal in NBA history, a five team, 13 player deal that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, and that moves him to the Miami Heat, the kind of upstart Miami Heat. And Anton Walker fits in well. You know, 2005, 2006, he plays mostly off the bench, uh, rotates between both forward positions. Uh, he struggles early to kind of, you know, adjust to his role off the bench. He's not a lead scorer. He's not a top guy anymore. But by the end of the year, he's a big force. You know, comes, you know, averages, you know, 12.2 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, is the team's, you know, primary scorer off the bench, uh, leads the team overall in three point shots, uh, and increases the percentages across the board, too. He has less attempts in, in some way, but he's also being way more efficient as well, which helps out a bunch. And in the playoffs, he really, really steps his game up. His production goes up a, a bunch. Uh, he becomes the third leading scorer for the team. Uh, big three point baskets, you know, 20 points in four different playoff games, uh, 23, you know, against the New Jersey Nets to kind of close them out in the conference semifinals. Uh, then they go to the NBA Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, he posts, you know, 13.8 points per game in the series, and the Heat win the NBA championship. So Anton Walker gets a ring. Uh, and in the title clinching game, he gets uh, 14 points and 11 rebounds as well. So, um, a good little kind of story there. Uh, 2006, 2007, his production dips uh, quite a bit. He averages, you know, only 8.5 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game. Uh, doesn't really do much. Uh, October 24, 2007, he is sent to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, doesn't really do much there at all. Plays in 46 games, but it definitely appears his career is on his last leg. Uh, he gets dealt to the Memphis Grizzlies. He, you know, barely plays there uh, at all. He's actually involved in the trade that ends up being for Kevin Love in a roundabout way uh, for the rights to Kevin Love. It's the OJ Mayo for Kevin Love trade, which uh, eh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't really work out great for the Grizzlies, I would say, but uh, probably a little bit better for uh, the Timberwolves. Uh, He's waived pretty quickly thereafter by the Grizzlies. Uh, He signs on with uh, a team in. I uh, forget. I don't even know what country this is. Going bio Mets. I don't. I don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Uh, regardless, 2010. He is still trying to hang around. He goes into the uh, Idaho Stampede of the NBA, NBA Developmental League and plays there for two years. Believe it or not, two years of Anton Walker uh, in the Idaho uh, Stampede of the NBA Developmental League. Uh, then April 2012, he officially announces his retirement, and that is the end of Anton Walker's playing career. So there you go. Famous Heat Celtic Anton Walker. Hall of Fame isn't called yet, but you know we're waiting. Soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure any moment yeah. now. So. Yeah, any moment now. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, we're going to go to Nick Van Exel. Uh, Van Exel uh, led the University of Cincinnati to a Final Four and the Elite Eight in his two seasons with the team. Uh, he was known as Nick the Quick, uh, mostly for his fancy ball handling and fast moves, as well as being a guy who could definitely score in bunches. Also later known for his uh, trademark long socks, which were sort of uncommon uh, during that time, although didn't wear those as Laker dates. I kind of forget exactly at what point he started wearing the uh, long socks, but might have been Denver, might have been afterward. but. Um, anyway, he was drafted in the second round with the Lakers in 93, 37th overall. So not necessarily, you know, a, uh, a hyped pick at the time. Eddie Jones was, you know, a, a bit more hyped coming in, but, you know, he definitely had a certain swagger that fit well with the new era of the Lakers, you know, kind of post showtime, uh, ended up making the 1994 all rookie second team. The first team guards were Penny Hardaway and Isaiah Ryder. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
In 95, he was the second leading scorer on a really balanced team along, you know, again, again with Jones, Vladi Divac, uh, Sabalos, and Eldon Campbell. They'd won 48 games that year. And that was after the Lakers had missed the playoffs for the first uh, time in 18 years in the 94 season. Uh, they also upset the Sonics in the uh, first round, a, a lesser known upset, but a fairly big upset, um, you know, than the 94, you know, one versus eight Sonics mm-hmm. loss um, to the Nuggets. Uh, 96, the Lakers were even better. They had a returning Magic Johnson off the bench. And, and Van X definitely was considered a team leader of, you know, kind of this pre Shaq era of the uh, Lakers, despite, you know, there were personality challenges with his coach and uh, with management. Uh, 97 and 98, a, uh, you know, now a revamped team with the new star Shaquille O'Neal, young Kobe Bryant, continued to have success during the regular season. Not as much during the playoffs, especially against the uh, the Utah Jazz. They were swept in 98, as we talked about earlier. Uh, then he ends up, of course, we, we mentioned the trade to the Nuggets. And uh, the, the 99 Nuggets, definitely kind of interesting team. Um, you know, they were coached by Mike D'Antoni. Uh, <laughs> right. First coaching stint, the pro, NBA coaching stint, which um, is I kind of forgot about. Uh, and, you know, expectations may have been a bit high after the team had gotten Antonio McDice back as a free agent after, you know, just spending one season in Phoenix um, where they had lost him before. They ended up drafting Rafe LaFrentz uh, third overall uh, and also had acquired the prior years, um, I believe, number three pick, Chauncey Billups, yep. uh, definitely top you know, lottery pick. So, you know, had some young talent, you know, got some free agency and like, oh, OK, maybe these guys will be all right. But. The team finished 14 and 36 at the third worst SRS in the league. And D'Antoni was gone after only one season um, at Denver. You know, whatever happened to him anyway. Yeah, I never really latched on anywhere. He has his, yeah. his weird thoughts of pace and uh, yeah. it doesn't, it's never going to work for him. Weird mustache. Yeah, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So definitely uh, the weird mustache was what hurt him more than anything, it was. Say, yeah, it was sure. definitely, <laughs> the, definitely the Pringles thing for sure. But um, yes, the Nuggets, yeah, they actually ended up bouncing back a little bit. They were more of a middling team, 37, 40 wins over the next couple of seasons. Van Exel did reach his career highs in points and assists during that time. Then 2002, Van Exel, you talked about this team earlier, was traded to Dallas, where as a sixth man, he averaged um, – 19.5 uh, points per game in the uh, playoffs, including a 40-point game uh, against the Kings and a really epic uh, Mavericks-Kings uh, series. The Mavericks ended up winning um, and uh, before they would fall to the Spurs in a, uh, in a, in a pretty epic playoff series that year. Um, after that, he spent a season each with the Warriors, Blazers, and Spurs to close out his career, where he ended his career on the wrong side of an epic series loss to the Mavs. So, yeah, <laughs> I always remember that being sad. It's like, you know, that happened to, I, I think, Michael Finley, you know, one of the years. He ended up getting the last laugh, Michael Finley. But, uh, yeah, where these guys would leave the Mavericks and then get, like, defeated by the Mavericks in the season. After I remember that with Van Exel, too, where right. he's like, oh, man, like, you know, yeah. I'll join the Spurs. That'll give me the title. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He picked an even year. He has to pick an odd year. Exactly. Right, right, right. He's like, yeah. well, the Spurs won last year, so they're going to win this year. It's like, ah, right. yeah, they're not exactly good at that. Works. That's <laughs> the one thing they're not good at. Yeah. Um, yes, but Van Exel has had a prolific assistant coaching career in the NBA, most recently with the Grizzlies. He's been been with for uh, several seasons. Yeah, so. I always see him on the bench there. And yeah, I wonder I wonder if he'll ever yeah. get the um, ever get the nod as, as a head coach. We'll see. I don't see his name bandied about all that much. So I don't know. No, yeah, it, it'd be cool. You know, Um Apparently the Nets didn't look at him when they were hiring. So, uh, you know. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> who knows yeah. why? Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, all right. We'll move on to our next uh, Heat Celtics player. It's Ray. No, I'm kidding. It's Grant Long, of course. Grant Long. Yes, of course. Let's talk some goggles. Let's get to the goggles here. Grant Long, uh, 1988. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. One thing I do want to mention about Grant Long um, connection here uh, was the uh, was the I believe like 99% sure that um, he provided the uh, color commentary along with uh, Bob Rathburn for the uh, (laughs) 2004-2005. Is that true? Nice. That, that, that is true. Yes. Incredible. There you go. Was he yeah. still wearing the goggles or what? Did he, did, or did he go to glasses or he just, he just uh, yeah, I think, I think he was wearing glasses okay. at that point. My memory is a little bit faded, but you know, I remember exactly what the color commentator was wearing. For the time. Right. Come on, dude. What fan are you? Yeah. I was under the impression you were a super fan of the 94, yeah. 94 or the 2004, 2005 Atlanta Hawks. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 1988, never, never a dull opportunity. Never, never you'll, you'll never miss an opportunity to bring up the night. What a prolific team. Like I, I yeah. swear to God, like once in a show, there's a connection to that damn team. Yeah, yeah. They never did anything. <laughs> hey, they, listen, they won 13 beautiful games. So, right. yes. Uh, anyway, 1988-89, uh, the expansion heat. Miami Heat coming to the NBA uh, for the season. Of course, like most expansion teams, they stink. Uh, it's a, a roster full of young players, journeymen, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Nago roster features, first round picks, Ronnie Cycli, Kevin Edwards, uh, also, the aforementioned Grant Long, who we'll talk about in a little bit more detail. Sylvester Gray, get NBA vets like Rory Sparrows there, John Sundelove, uh, Pat Cummings, Scott Hastings, Pearl Washington, Billy Thompson. It's it's not a great bunch, and uh, it doesn't go well. Uh, they start out the season by losing their first 17 games, for 17 games, uh, including a blowout, 138-91 to 91 loss uh, to uh, Magic Johnson's Los Angeles Lakers. So at the, at the time, a, a, a historic uh, NBA record uh, losing streak there. Uh, so what did not help as well is that the the Heat at this time, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, the Heat were placed in the Midwest division of the Western Conference, despite, of course, being located in Miami, which is not ideal uh, to be in the Midwest of the Western Conference. Uh, they had the longest road trips in the NBA. Their nearest divisional opponent was the Houston Rockets, which is over 900 miles away uh, from Miami. Uh, did not help. They ended up with a 15 and 67 win loss record tie for the worst uh, in, in franchise history. But Grant Long was a pleasant surprise his rookie year. Uh, he plays in all 82 games. He manages 11.8 points per game, 6.7 rebounds per game, 1.3 assists per game, uh, plays 29.7 minutes per game as well. He went to Eastern Michigan, so we, we should note that. He was a pretty uh, a big player there in Eastern Michigan and, and, and pretty important player uh, for that fran- uh, that got college as well. He's, uh, he plays a lot of minutes. He does lead the league in uh, fouls with 337 in his rookie season, but still a pleasant surprise for a second-round pick to be as productive as Grant Long was. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of plays a few years in Miami. Things aren't really going well in Miami. Uh, we're going to jump all the way to 1991-92. By the 92 season, Miami is a respectable team. They make their first playoff run here at a 38-44 record. They do go to the Eastern Conference, which is probably better for them, you know, to play Eastern Conference teams as opposed to Western Conference teams. Uh, and Long is a key, key contributor for that 91-92 season uh, as well. He starts all 82 games. He averages a career-best 14.8 points per game. And the Miami Heat got a little bit of a team going here. They got Glenn Rice. They got Ronnie Cycli. They got Steve Smith. So they have some good names. Uh, they have some good talent here uh, on the Heat. So 92-93, uh, things kind of business as usual. They're, they're, they're an okay team. Uh, we'll jump to 93-94, uh, where Long kind of starts to fall out of favor in Miami. Less really because of anything he did, but more because things just kind of started working out in Miami. And they started really accumulating talent. Of course, the core is going to be Glenn Rice and Steve Smith, and they realize that. Grant Long really isn't a part of that core. Uh, and that 93-94 season is uh, Miami's first season as well at 42-40. and 40. 
Uh, then in a pretty big surprise to to you know Grant Long, especially uh, 94-95, just two games into the NBA season, Grant Long is traded uh, to the Atlanta Hawks along with Steve Smith uh, for Kevin Willis and a 1996 first round draft pick. Um, might seem a little weird that like, wait a minute, Steve Smith and Grant Long for Kevin Willis and a draft pick. Uh, this is financially motivated as much as anything. The Heat were uh, bad. Kind of somewhat on purpose. They finished, you know, 32 and 50. Uh, but the Arison family, naming Mickey Arison, uh, was working to purchase the team. So they were kind of trying to get lean uh, before that. So uh, definitely kind of sucks because, you know, Miami did have the building blocks of a pretty good team. But things would get back on track there for Miami pretty shortly after this. Uh, but we had some great quotes. The NBA Trades Tumblr account, which is one of the you know best blogs there is. I mean, just if, you, if you're ever interested in NBA, NBA trade uh, and they've written about it and then NBA trades Tumblr. Uh, uh, it's just you, you get so many details. Uh, there's some two you know really cool quotes that I thought about as well. Uh, there's heat guard Bimbo Coles. He talks about them trading Smith and Long. He goes, they were our two captains. <laughs> like the most morose uh, quote possible. Uh, then the other one as well as Grant Long um, was joking just days before this that he was the last original member of the Miami Heat. And then he sent away and he says, quote, just as I was kidding about being the last Mohican, I'm gone. So <laughs> last Mohican references. Uh, definitely well used in 1994, 1995. So I appreciate uh, the nod there. Uh, so Smith and Long joined the Hawks team in the middle of their kind of own, you know, f- on the fly rebuild. Uh, Smith and Long welcome additions to the team with Mookie Blaylock, Stacey Ogman uh, headlining the core. And Grant Long, he plays pretty well. Steady presence in Atlanta's lineup. Uh, plays 79 game uh, games. Um, same averages, mostly, you know, 11.7 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game. Just solid production uh, throughout. It uh, does not last long, though, another year in Atlanta. And then in 96-97, he is traded to the Detroit Pistons along with Stacey Ogwin, uh, to the you know, for, to Detroit for uh, future draft picks. Uh, long then departed you know, in Atlanta, uh, 12.4 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game. So pretty good uh, line. And then uh, you know, he becomes kind of a journeyman at this point. He bounces between Detroit. He goes to Atlanta again. He goes to Vancouver for a little bit, then makes the move from Vancouver to Memphis. And then finally, the reason we're here, Boston. Yes, Grant Long plays for the Boston Celtics. He joins Boston in January of 2003. This is the aforementioned team that we talked about with Anton Walker. Uh, this is a Boston team fresh off the Eastern Conference Finals berth. Uh, Grant Long is 36 at this point. Uh, he plays in only 41 games. He starts just one. And it was really more of a veteran presence more than anything. Uh, did, you know, average, you know, eight point or did score eight points in a game in, you know, April 2003. But largely was just kind of a guy, on, on, you know, at the end of the bench. And then, you know, by the next year. Uh, he's out of the NBA and uh, apparently into the uh, the booth for the Atlanta Hawks. So uh, that is it. So only only a few games there in Boston, but I, a good opportunity, probably our only opportunity ever to talk about Grant Long. So yeah, this is fabulous time for us all. Um, next, uh, Orlando Woolrich, who we we have talked about a little bit here and there um, on the show, mostly in reference to um, to to Michael Jordan. Uh, but, uh, you know, Woolbridge was a star at Notre Dame, uh, was named second team All-American, also famously hit a last second jumper that ended uh, Ralph Sampson's uh, University of Virginia team 28 game winning streak back when uh, Sampson, of course, was the biggest star in college basketball. Uh, Woolbridge's cousin was Willis Reed. Uh, so, of course, some basketball royalty there. Um Something I did not know until I looked it up. One of Orlando's nicknames was Oboe Cop, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if I buy that, but I, I'm going to go ahead and go with it anyway. You know? I like it. So I, I yeah. think we should. I think we should go with it. So let's do it. Good old, good old Oboe Cop. So, yes, uh, Oboe Cop was drafted sixth overall uh, in 1981 for the Bulls. They at that point, actually, 81 was sort of the last decent team they had pre Jordan. 
Uh, they had an aging artist Gilmore, but, you know, a promising, the somewhat young nucleus with Dave Greenwood and Reggie Theus, but didn't have a great deal of uh, success until they happened upon Michael Jordan in that 1984 draft. I might've talked about that before. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. Rich, do you, do you recall uh, us discussing that? Um, 1980. Yeah. Michael. Nah. Uh, uh, anyway. Maybe once or twice, but yeah, well, I don't, well, I don't. I, we'll, we'll have to maybe you know, do an episode about that. I'll put a, I'll, yeah, well, I'll, I'll put a circle around that. Mike Jordan. Okay. So, you know, at that point, you know, had been, became the, you know, by default, uh, because the bulls didn't really have much talent was the bulls. Uh, second best player next. Jordan uh, was extremely talented. He was a great dunker. He competed in a couple dunk contests, you know, was good score, you know, even, I mean, you know, it wasn't like super efficient, but he was not inefficient. I mean, he, you know, he had, um, you know, field goal percentages uh, around, um, you know, 50 to 55%, you know, actually was a solid, you know, a, a pretty good offensive player. Um, you know, didn't even really, wasn't even really a chucker, but didn't really do much else. Uh, didn't play defense, not much of a passer, not a great rebounder, you know, um, and not a great fit with Jordan, who, uh, you know, they got rid of pretty uh, soon after the 86 season. Wilbert ended up signing with the Nets in the 87 season, but was uh, didn't have a lot of success. They ended up being suspended for most of the next season because of a substance abuse policy violation. Um, and uh, the 89 season, he ended up reviving his career a little bit. Mm-hmm. He uh, signed with the Lakers, uh, played a couple of years there in a bench role, helped the team returned to the finals in 89. Unfortunately for the Lakers did not, uh, was not able to complete a three P third title in a row. Uh, <laughs> don't want to pay so, that. Yeah. We don't want right, to pay that. Yeah. So was not able to accomplish that. And then we talked about the trade, of course, to the 1990 uh, Nuggets. I will also mention that they had the officially had the fastest pace um, in NBA history, one of these days we'll have to look at how far their pace went from the average pace of that time. Because I'm sure, you know, the 91 was fairly fast, but certainly was not like late 70s, you know, fast. So right, I bet right. if you if you compare it to the average, I bet it's even more impressive. But also had one of the like 13 worst SRSs in um, <laughs> in NBA history. I believe they had one of the uh, the high the worst defensive ratings in uh, NBA history as well. So. Uh, as we said, we're going to dig into, we, we do actually genuinely promise to dig into them. Yeah. Um, that, that's a show that we definitely need to do. Yeah. yeah. I, I, we we yes. need to watch some games, maybe a live, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta dig into this yeah. team. This is, this wait, is wait, our new wait, thing wait, that we gotta do. So hopefully the Nuggets yeah, win I, the NBA finals so we can. I, I need some more Blair Rasmussen in my yes, life. Yes, you know? exactly. We'll, yeah. we'll bring Rainus on and ask him about <laughs> what yes. he knows about Blair Rasmussen. So. Yes, exactly. So, um, Anyway, after after a stop in Denver, he ended up playing a couple years with the Pistons, stopped a bit with the Bucks and the 76ers before moving on to play two years in Italy under coach Mike D'Antoni in the Italian. There league. he and is. Yeah, we can't get away from D'Antoni this season. <laughs> yeah, we can't. No, uh, then he, he I'd forgotten this, but he was actually uh, a WNBA coach for the Sparks for a couple of seasons in the uh, late 90s. Right. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um and unfortunately, he passed away uh, at only age only fifty two uh, in in twenty twelve. He had a long battle with um, with heart disease. So um, sad there, but yeah, he did, did some interesting things. Um, you know, after his uh, playing career, you know, kind of was able to 
you know, obviously had the, dr- the drug issues and other things going on early on in his career, but he and, you know, ended up having a solid career and, you know, had some had some fun moments. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, and, and largely sort of unfortunately remembered as like the guy that was there before Jordan got there. And then once Jordan got there, uh, sort of sent away. But, yeah, no, I, I think a, a pretty good career. And and yet another I mean, a long line of guys that you can go in that era where it's like, you know, had the drugs not been as big of an issue you know, what could his career have been, but you could definitely sure. see, you know, the potential there and then like a big drop off. And then it's, it's tough for him to ever kind of get back uh, on track after, you know, you know, the suspension and, and, and missing most of the season. And, and, you know, it was, it was a big problem in the NBA and there's plenty of players like Woolridge where, where you do wonder, man, like what could have been had, you know, not been for these issues. So. Absolutely. All right. So move on to our final kind of breakout player here for the Heat and Celtics. It is Shaquille. Nah, I'm kidding. It's Sherman Douglas. Come on. All time. great College basketball player for Syracuse Uh, sets the all time NBA assist record with the Syracuse Orange Men in 1989. Uh, Then becomes the Heat's uh, starting point guard in 1989, 90, uh, their second season. Uh, like Grant Long, he's a second round draft pick, but comes out of the gates and he's pretty good as, you know, as a rookie, he averages 14.3 points per game, uh, earns a spot on the NBA's all rookie first team as well. Uh, the Heat are still bad, as we mentioned, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, 1991, uh, Douglas is scoring and assists jump up a bunch, 18.5 uh, points per game, 8.5 assists per game. Uh, he's actually named the team's most valuable player uh, as well. The, they still stink. They're 24 and 58, but that's fine because you got a player. You got a second round pick. That's your team's most valuable player, and he's scoring 18.5 points per game. Like, you're not going to complain too much. Uh, by 91 92, uh, Sherman Douglas realizes, wait a minute, you know, I was drafted in the second round and I'm well overplaying, you know, my contract. So he holds out before the season. Uh, Miami, not very fond of this move. <laughs> that does not enjoy that uh, very much. So after five games, he has dealt to the Boston Celtics. So both Brian Shaw, they're kind of bored of Brian Shaw in, in, in Boston. Miami's kind of done with Sherman Douglas in Miami, and they decide, hey, why don't we trade our, you know, disgruntled point guards for each other and they do and douglas goes on to play uh what i would say probably the best basketball of his entire career for the boston celtics uh 92 he joins a pretty old but still pretty star-filled um you know celtics team to make it all the way to game seven of the eastern conference semifinals uh douglas kind of doesn't find his role immediately only scores 7.3 points per game 4.1 assists per game uh but still he's on a really really good team and he's you know competing for uh you know not really i I guess wouldn't say really competing for nba titles anymore but at least getting into the playoffs uh, after not being there for many years uh, with Miami. Uh, but 92-93, though, he does assume a bigger role on the team. He starts 38 games. I uh, score 7.8 points per game, dishes out 6.4 assists per game. Uh, Celtics regress a bit. Uh, they lose in the NBA's first round. They only win 48 games that year. 93-94. Uh, unfortunately, Douglas's you know, real best season as a Celtic, or maybe his second best season as a Celtic, uh, 13.3 points per game, 8.8 assists per game. Uh, but Boston falls to 32 wins and misses the playoffs for the first time since 1979, uh, 94-95, Boston kind of gets back on track a little bit, and they get 35 wins. That's good enough to get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, Douglas averages uh, 14.7 points per game, 6.9 assists per game. Uh, Boston will lose in the first round to the upstart uh, Orlando Magic. And then 95-96, 10 games in the season, Sherman Douglas is moved to Milwaukee. Uh, he has a quote here that I found out in the AP. He says, I haven't paid that much attention to the Bucks, but I know they have two great players. I like their chances. I think they'll be right there. Those two great players, of course, are uh, Vin Baker and uh, Glenn Robinson. And the Bucks, they were right there, except, well, not really. They finished 25 and 57, so they weren't very good. And uh, Douglas played well, 11.5 points per game, 5.8 assists per game. Uh, started, uh, you know, 62 uh, games uh, for the Bucks that year, but uh, did not go very well. Uh, 96-97, Douglas is reunited with his former Celtics coach, Chris Ford. Uh, Milwaukee does improve to 33-49, and 49, but they still miss the playoffs 
Douglas again finishes 9.7 points per game, 5.4 assists per game. Uh, but as my time in Miami or Milwaukee, I should say, uh, does not last very long. Uh, September 1997, he's traded in a three-team trade uh, to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, it's the the Sean Kemp trade as well. Vin Baker moves, a bunch of other guys move. Terrell Brandon moves. We've talked about that trade uh, a few times as well. And then he's traded by Cleveland to Denver. Uh, so that he's actually one of the guys that plays for three of the teams that we're talking about here. Uh, he's way by the Denver Nuggets uh, pretty immediately after. So I don't know if he actually ever played a game with them. Uh, then uh, he signs with the Nuggets. He gets released by the Nuggets. He signs with the Clippers. He signs with the Nuggets again. And he just kind of bounces around from there, which kind of stinks because Sherman Douglas did have a really good NBA career. And, and he was at the time. I mean, you go back to the early 90s. You go back to those Boston Celtics teams like he, again, was a really, really good player for those teams and and felt like a guy that was going to be kind of the bridge. Uh, between the next generation of you know the Boston Celtics and you know pretty famous for his floater, uh, he wasn't a good outside shooter, but a, but a, but a fast player, a guy that could get to the rim, get a floater up, uh, score a bunch, pass a bunch, like just a solid, really really solid player. Uh, but never seemed to find his footing, never seemed to find an NBA home, uh, and ended up bouncing around a bunch and kind of ended up with a career that maybe is largely forgotten, but but shouldn't be. And uh, one fun fact about uh, well, not fun for Sherman, I guess, uh, is he played Michael Jordan thirty times in his career and lost to Michael Jordan in the Bulls every one of those 30 times so yeah i had to check that one and verify that one because i i had a hard time believing that but it is it, it's true <laughs> i did too. Uh, i was like really yeah <laughs> like not even one like i have one game now not one no, yeah 27 no times in the regular season and three times <laughs> yeah. in the playoff um not a one. yeah what did that really should have come up in um last dance really You're right like, yeah yeah you to michael jordan um because there has to be something going on there I, that's uh that's pretty uh that's pretty crazy but yeah uh, that was a fun one. Um, nice to dig into Sherman Douglas. Uh, our last one is a recent addition to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Charlie Scott, um, yes. you know, started his career as an all-star with the Virginia Squires of the ABA, where he played alongside Julius Irving. But uh, late in the 1972 season, he decided, eh, I'm not really super into this. And uh, then defected from the ABA to the NBA um, with the Phoenix Suns, in which he'd have uh, three all-star seasons. Uh, Then he was traded to the Celtics before the 1976 season for Paul Westfall, which worked out pretty well for both guys. Westfall became a star in Phoenix, and Scott became an NBA champ um, for uh, the Celtics, and the Celtics famously beat the Suns in that uh, NBA Finals, one of the more famous finals in NBA history, particularly the uh, triple overtime game five. Um, But the Celtics by 1978 season were in rebuilding mode. It was John Havlicek's last season. Uh, You know, the the key guys had gotten older. They'd lost Paul Silas and uh, they were struggling. And during that season, um, Scott was traded to the Lakers uh, for Kermit Washington, who kind of was basically forced uh, out of the L.A. after the punch of Rich Hamdanovich. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics also reacquired Don Chaney, who had been Charlie Scott's backcourt partner uh, during that time as well. Uh, longtime Celtic uh, Don Chaney, who'd gone to the uh, ABA and come back to the NBA, of course, after the merger. Um, Scott ended up, you know, um, ending his last couple seasons in his career. And I, and I kind of forgot he played for the Nuggets. Um, ended up playing for a, a pretty good Nuggets team in uh, the 79 season. They were only 47 and 35, but the, the, the that was during um, a time in which the you know, competitive balance of the NBA was a lot stronger because of the, uh, the merger and for a, a few other reasons. Uh, so that team 
uh, better than I think it's record indicated. They had David Thompson, they had George McGinnis, they had Dan Issel. Uh, they'd actually were coached for much of that season for by Larry Brown, who, but you know, in Larry Brown fashion, decided to abandon the team in the mid season. <laughs> And then uh, basically said, oh, yeah, I'm tired of coaching. I need to quit. And then a few weeks or months later, went to UCLA to coach. So uh, that was fun. And uh, I'm, the, surprised, this, I'm uh, surprised Larry Brown, of all people. I mean, he's usually right. just so committed to his job. And yeah, to, right. You know, if he says, I'm here with you guys, I'm going to do this job. Like, yeah, for him to just bail out of nowhere is, is just very uncharacteristic for one Larry Brown. So I, I can't believe it. So I, I'll, have to, I'll have to double check and make sure you're correct right. there. But, I, I, I appreciate you talking about the same Larry Brown, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. The Larry Brown Brown. played for the Nuggets, you know, um, you know, was, was new to coaching at this point or relatively new to coaching at this point. Um, But yes, uh, the, um, and then the Nuggets fell in the playoffs to Scott's former Lakers team. One of, uh, one of several, uh, I believe that would be the first of uh, the Nuggets losses to the uh, Lakers in the uh, playoffs. I believe they've had three series and the, um, the Lakers have won them all to double check that one. Um, and then the uh, next season, which is Scott's final season, the Nuggets ended up falling off with a losing record. Uh, they were coached by Donnie Walsh, um, Larry Brown's old friend. Uh, Thompson was hurt that season. McGinnis ended up being traded for Alex English, which uh, long-term was very, very good for the Nuggets, but short-term was, you know, um, uh, you know, Alex English was still kind of young and unproven. So, um, but yeah, things would turn up for the Nuggets, but it did take a while. They'd get Doug Moe in there, and then things would be pretty good for them uh, in the 80s. Just not quite as good as it would be for the Lakers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, so a few other players as well that, that played for Miami and Boston. I feel like we at least have to mention a little bit. Shaquille O'Neal, of course, played for both Miami and Boston. Uh, Joe Johnson, uh, believe it or not, did play for Miami. Uh, I don't think anybody really remembers that Miami run. How could you with the Atlanta Hawks runs? You know, that fresh in your mind. Sure, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, he played for Miami uh, recently. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal played for both of them. Uh, Ricky Davis played for both Miami and Boston. PJ Brown, Eddie House, uh, Kelly Olynyk currently playing, you know, for the Miami Heat. Uh, Ray Allen and also Gary Payton as well, which is one that people wanted us uh, to touch on. So these are all fun players. But like, yeah, we yeah, we've talked about Gary Payton. We've talked about, you know, I guess we haven't talked about Eddie House or Kelly Olynyk. So I guess we could have done that. But uh, I, I'm glad we talked about Sherman Douglas and uh, Grant Long instead. So yeah, next uh, do, you have, time. do you have some other famous uh, Nuggets and Lakers? Uh, I, I do have a few. Uh, a couple are current, actually. J.R. Smith and uh, JaVale McGee. <laughs> I um, on the Lakers now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, of course, play for the Lakers now. They both recently played for the Nuggets. Uh, Tif- Timofey Mozgov, uh, of course, famous Lakers free agent signee um, uh, of recent vintage. And of course, played for the Nuggets, was traded to the Cavs, helping LeBron James. Well, I guess he wasn't really an important player on the 2016 championship team, but the 2015 finals team uh, obviously was key for that. Uh, Corey Brewer, uh, you may have forgotten, played for the uh, Lakers. Uh, Danny Shays played very, very briefly for the Lakers, played a long time for the Nuggets. I think Shays played a total of, um, let's see, 13 games for the Lakers in the uh, 94 season. So it was a, a, a teammate of uh, Nick Van Exel. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And um, I wonder if he told them how things are in uh, Denver. <laughs> right. uh, Matt Calvin of um, ABA uh, fame had a brief stint uh, with the uh, Lakers toward the end of his career. And uh, same with uh, John Roach, who was a early star for the Nets in the um, ABA. And uh, near the end of his career, he had a, um, he had a stint. Well, he, he had a, a stint actually in the 76 season. He actually um, left the um, 
the, the the stars folded, of course, in the 76 season. And then he went, he left the ABA, went to the um, Lakers and um, only averaged a 3.5 minutes per game in 15 games and, uh, and did not have any kind of safe role. And then was out of the NBA for uh, three seasons. He played in Italy during that time. And then came back to the NBA, played three seasons with the uh, Nuggets to um, end his uh, career at age 32. So kind of an interesting path um, for him. Um, and then Matt Calvin, kind of a, a similar type of uh, situation, um, although he didn't immediately leave the uh, ABA. Uh, he, he played for the Squires in their final season. Um, they lasted the entire season. But in the 77 season, he actually played for three separate teams, the Lakers for 12 games, the Spurs for – 35 games and the Nuggets for uh, 29 games for and, and played for 77 and 78 for some really strong um, uh, Nuggets teams. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And of course, he had also played for the 75 Nuggets, who were also an excellent team. Uh, but then they ended up trading him away when they got David Thompson and uh, Dan Issel and ended up going to the finals for the uh, next season. So two different stints with the uh, Nuggets, both the ABA uh, version and the NBA version. So we actually got one other one. This is an interesting one that uh, came through us uh, on Twitter. And uh, uh-huh. let me know what you think of this one. I, I don't know if it counts all the way. I, I wonder if it does count for you. So Steve Mix, who I think we've talked about recently. Did we talk about okay. Steve Mix with uh, uh, Curtis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've, talked, we've yeah. talked Steve Mix before many times. So okay. uh, he has the, the rare distinction. I assume he's oh. the only person in, in the world to ever do this. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to do some research. Uh, in 1971-72, he played one game for the then ABA Denver Nuggets. Yeah, actually, the Rockets. They were or the, the Rockets, Rockets Denver Rockets at that time, too. So what do you, whatever you want to do with yeah. that, you can do that. Right. And then in 1982-83, he plays one game for the Los Angeles Lakers, and that's it. So I don't what do you what do, official ruling? Uh, well, I mean, it, yes, he officially Steve did. I, yeah, I um, one game each for two franchises. I, rules. Yeah, I remember now that he had that a very brief ABA stint. I had forgot it was just one day. I thought he played. I thought he played more than one game. For yeah, the I thought A's. so too. But I'm surprised by that. Did he played the playoffs at all. Um, uh, that's a possibility. Yeah, because they did bring him in later okay. in the year. So maybe they brought him in as a reserve. So actually, hold on. Let me, I'm, I'm at his page yeah. right now. As I'm always. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually on Steve Mix's. Uh, sure. Yeah, both, reference page. Parts, yeah. So, I mean, where else yeah. do you go? Right. Uh, let's see if he played in the playoffs because that would make. He did. He played eight games. Yes. In the yeah. There we yeah. go. Okay. Well, that makes a little more sense, but um, I'm assuming he did not play in the ABA playoffs uh, that year. So that would be quite uh, remarkable. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, obviously very interesting. So, um, yeah, no, I know that's uh, that's a great one. That, that's a great find. Who, who found that one for us? Uh, that is um, I don't know if I, Roman Spiritku. I think it's okay. uh, at uh, R-A-M-A-Y-S. R A M A Y S. So Ramus right. Ramus, I believe, is that's how you say it. So I believe uh, that person is Russian. So um, I'm probably right, well, mispronouncing it a lot, but yes, we got. Uh, we, we apologize for, for that, but we appreciate you um, you sharing that with us. That's yeah, is a, a great fact. Yes, and, and yes, um, as you alluded to earlier, because I know that our fans care very deeply about this. I uh, verified that none of the original Denver Nuggets, the the the, the franchise that played only one season in the NBA 1950 before folding that just happened to have the same name as the current Denver Nuggets franchise uh, ever played for the uh, Lakers. Good. So, okay. Uh, and uh, to, to circle a thread, uh, I was off on the Lakers Nuggets um, 
playoff history. They have actually, this is the, their current series is the seventh time they have played in the, um, in the playoffs. So the, the Lakers have won um, all the previous instances. The last time was 2012 when the Lakers beat the Nuggets in the 2012 uh, first round. Oh, man. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this year either. Things aren't it's going well. <laughs> not, not looking well. Evo, of course, the Nuggets—they're—they're uh, they're notorious for that. So yes. Um, so we'll see if they can. Uh, they can. They can pull Come that. On, maybe Denver. Maybe they just want to make it like a little bit challenging, and they want to get down three zero. Yeah, that's what they've really been doing lately. So yeah, maybe that's what yeah. they're trying to do. Because right. honestly, if they win the NBA Finals, like we have to do that episode about the uh, the ninety ninety one. And we're still going to do it oh, anyway, but you know, then oh, it would yeah. make a little bit more sense why we're deciding right. to randomly decide, you know, to, to yeah. jump into the, you know, the previous best Denver Nuggets team ever is, you know, <laughs> that team. So, um, yes. yeah. by the way, for what it's worth, the, uh, this is the fourth time for the uh, Celtics and the heat, the, the Celtics and heat met, uh, in 2010, 2011 and 2012, uh, 2010, the Celtics won. That was pre LeBron, of course, and 2011 and 2012, the, um, the, the heat one. I'd forgotten in 2012, the uh, Celtics actually took it to seven games. So that was, um, that's interesting. So, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. And then LeBron crushed him at the end. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 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 That did happen sometimes. All right. So that was right. fun. I enjoyed that. Nice little, yeah. There you go. Look at the heat and the Celtics and the Lakers and Nuggets. We'll have to do that again for future. Maybe even, uh, maybe the NBA finals, we can, uh, we can touch on that. Except if, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, any, any of the scenario of those two teams would be pretty fun. So, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Boston we, we'll, and Lakers. Uh, I mean, what else are we going to talk yeah. about the Boston Celtics and the Lakers? I mean, there's no, right. there's no history. Yeah. You know, there's not a go back yeah. to for those guys. Like, what you know, yeah. probably the first, maybe the second time they've ever met in the finals. I can't even off the yeah. top of my head. I can't even remember. So nothing yeah, interesting there. Yeah. yeah no. There's just nothing to talk about yeah. with the Celtics and the Lakers in the finals. I mean, right. It wouldn't be good. Yeah. So heat nuggets. Yeah. Though. That's <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, yes, thanks everyone for checking us out. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, you can find us at the step back at fansided.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at over and back NBA, both places. We're on uh, Apple podcasts and Stitcher, pretty much any um, platform in which you get podcasts. We're there. If you want to leave us a rating and or review, we would really appreciate it. So Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon.